welcome to you tonight as we continue in our series, Thy Kingdom Come, where we are looking at the coming kingdom of Jesus the Messiah on the earth and, uh, and beyond when we get into the eternal state. But right now, we're still focused on the millennial kingdom or the kingdom, the reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. And so that's where we're going tonight. And we're going to continue looking at this because the Bible does tell us quite a bit about this. And we've been studying many of those things in this series. And so I want to continue tonight. We saw how when Jesus swoops in on that white horse, in Revelation 19, we talked about several things. First of all, he's coming as the conquering king. He's coming to bring vengeance on his enemies, those who have tried to war against him. He will defeat them. He will save Israel. He will then proceed toward Jerusalem. Now, um, we've looked at, in the last couple of lessons, his joyous celebration, perhaps even being led by David himself, into and up to the, the city gates of Jerusalem. We talked about the um, triumphal procession that he does about possible coronation that he um, has when he's anointed king, perhaps even at the Gion Springs like Solomon was and other uh, kings from the Old Testament. And so now we wanna see what's next. After he is making this procession, procession and Psalm 24 delivers that uh, powerful word for the gates to open up, and they open up for Messiah to come in and to rule and reign. So let's talk about that tonight. He now enters his city. So where does he go? He is entering Jerusalem to take up his throne and his kingdom. First of all, I want to talk about how it is rightfully his to take. The throne and the kingdom is his to take. I want to read a few verses of scripture, and I'll mention a couple of others. In uh, Matthew 6, 13, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, it says clearly, thy kingdom come. And then, if that's not enough, at the very end of the prayer, Jesus taught us to pray that thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory. So twice in that those few verses and that simple prayer do we see that the kingdom is his. The kingdom is the Lord's. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 say this, I was watching in the night, see, in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So here we see the Ancient of Days, God the Father, bestowing upon the Son the eternal kingdom that belongs to him. 
In Psalm, I've got several scriptures marked here. In Psalm 122, verse 1 through 5, I want to read this passage to you as well. We're familiar with verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So there again, we see the writer of this psalm, David speaking about these thrones that will be set there, one of whom, one of which the Messiah will sit upon. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, which is a quote from Psalm 45, also speaks about how God tells the Son, Thy throne, O God, and thy scepter, in that that's quoting from Psalm 45. So God the Father again testifying that the throne is the Lord's. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, God says that he set his king on the holy hill of Zion, or Jerusalem. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, speak about how Jesus, the promised son, has an everlasting kingdom that has been granted to him. Isaiah 16, 5 speaks of this as well, and we will read that one in just a, a little bit. Isaiah 34, 1 through 4, speak of his reign of righteousness and justice. So, in thinking about the throne and the kingdom, let's establish what is his throne. Well, first of all, we know that Jesus, the son of David, who God sets up on his throne, this is the same Jesus that has returned to earth at the second coming, um, defeated all of his enemies, been anointed and appointed as king, coronated, and proceeded into the city with the gates that are now shut, opening up for him because he is the king. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, it says this. I referenced it a moment ago, but I want to read it now. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 says this. Yet I, this is the Lord God the Father speaking, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And so even here, we see this as well. God the Father setting Jesus on the holy hill in Jerusalem as king. So next we see that he will ascend the throne and perhaps even build his temple. Let's talk about those two points for the rest of this particular lesson. The throne, obviously the throne is the place where kings sit and they sit to rule and reign. Jesus is the living Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And the Ark was just a box without the presence of God. 
but when the presence of God filled it or sat upon it, the glory cloud would rest and he would dwell between the cherubim. That's what the word tells us. So the Ark of the Covenant was a very special um, object in that, it, in that it represented the presence of God. But let's notice what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. It says this, Then it shall come to pass, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those, in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. At that time, speaking of this day when Jesus is there, it says, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. But I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. So this is speaking of that beautiful day. And it says at that time, Jerusalem is going to be called the, the throne of the Lord. It's not going to be about the Ark of the Covenant any longer. It's going to be about the fact that the living Ark, the one whose presence it represented, the one who was the one who dwelt between the cherubim and proclaimed his name, he's the one that will be there in person. So it's not going to be about a box. Jesus is that Son of God. And he is coming. And Jerusalem will then, at that time, be known as the throne of the Lord. Now, I want us to look a little bit deeper. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5, it says this, In mercy the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So this is also talking about that day when Jesus comes and sits on the throne in truth, but notice where it's located. In the tabernacle of David. Now, I have another Facebook Live online video series that I'm actually going through right now. We should be completing it in just a few weeks on the tabernacle of David called Beholding the Glory. And we're understanding about relationship with Jesus through the tabernacle of David. But it's interesting that it is also mentioned here as the place where the throne is that Jesus will rest upon. So let's just, let me just bring you up to date a little bit, very briefly, about the tabernacle of David. What in the world is that? That referred to an actual tent where David prepared a place, a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, which represented in the Old Testament the presence of God. Now, how did that come about? 
The presence of God was missing from the land. David hungered and thirsted for that. He was missing God. God God's presence wasn't there represented by that ark. The ark had been captured. And so David got hungry and he wanted it back. And so he went after it. Well, he did it wrong the first time. And you can read about this in, second, in uh, Samuel and in Chronicles. He did it wrong the first time, but then he corrected that. And he went back and he brought the ark up with great rejoicing. And we read a lot of that uh, even in the last lesson or two when we talked about how it was perhaps a pattern for when the living ark, Jesus, would be entering the city. And there would be great dancing and great rejoicing and all of that. So David was hungry for the presence of God to come back. And so he made a tent for it. He made a place for it to dwell in. And he established worship. He established singing and praises. And even uh, perhaps sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of the presence there and spending quality time and quiet time in the presence. It was perhaps what he was referring to in Psalm 91.1 when he talked about those who dwell in the, in the secret place of the Most High. So it gives the connotation. It was that secret place where it was you and God. You were in the very presence of God. Hallelujah. So this Old Testament tabernacle of David, as we're seeing in that study, has application for us today, but also in this study in reference to the Lord, because this clearly tells us that that is where he will sit on it. In Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, and Acts 15, verses 12 through 18, we read about how it applies to us today because the prophecy from Amos was that in the last days, God was going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And in Acts chapter 15, God gives a rhema word to James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, that was leading the church at that time. And he gave him a rhema word, and, and James recognized that what was happening between the Jews and the Gentiles and both being poured out of the Spirit of God and given the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of those great things that were happening is the fulfillment of the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David because the tabernacle of David is all about relationship with Jesus, relationship with God that is real and thriving and vibrant. And so it applies to us today. But also, according to Isaiah, that is where the throne of the Lord will be housed in this millennial kingdom. He will rule and reign from his throne in the tabernacle of David is clearly what it says here. Hallelujah. So Jesus will sit on this throne inside the tabernacle of David that he, according to Amos, raises up. This signifies his dwelling with his people. Also, the tabernacle of David shows us open access. Remember, at the crucifixion, Jesus tore the veil. No more, no more enclosure, no more away from the people. Now there's open access. God is approachable in the tabernacle of David. This is an invitational thing. We're welcome to come, and it's inclusive. It includes everyone that is in relationship with him. I want to also look back to Deuteronomy. We don't always think of prophecies back in 
the books of, and the writings of Moses, but even Jesus referred to them as being prophetic and as, of course, being scripture. And so I want to read the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 33, and I want you to see that this has some end-time connotation. This applies to that coming day when Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Mount Seir. That's what he did before. He shone forth from Mount Paran and, and notice this. And he came with 10,000 of his saints. Now, this is definitely talking about the time of Revelation 19. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun, or another word for, uh, for Jerusalem. That's another word for Jerusalem. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. So there's prophetic element in this also of the coming of Jesus in his millennial kingdom. And I love verse 3 where it talks about they will sit down at your feet and receive your words. We saw a glimpse of that and what that looks like in the Gospels when Mary, the sister of Martha, chose what Jesus called the better part or the good part. Why? Because it ties to this. She wanted to sit at his feet and receive his words and soak them up and take them deep within her heart. And that, Jesus said, was the good part. And that's what many of us will be doing in that day, sitting at his feet in, um, in where his throne is in the tabernacle of David and receiving his words, a beautiful picture of what we have to look forward to as well in that day. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the actual box, I don't find in Scripture where it will be there, and I don't find where it will be in the temple that's built there during the Millennial Kingdom. And I don't believe it's necessary because the living Ark is there, the Lord himself. Remember, the Ark was just a box without the presence of God. It was the presence of God that made it special. And God would come and dwell between the cherubim in that place. And so now we see God coming, Jesus coming and dwelling with us in the tabernacle of David. Hallelujah. In 1 Chronicles 13, 6, we also see that when Jesus, when God's presence would come and sit and dwell between the cherubim, that that's where his name was proclaimed. I love that his name was proclaimed there as he would dwell among the people. His name, you know, we're told many different uh, names, if you will, or titles for God in the scriptures. But think about this. The one name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. The name, the one name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. The name of Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh the I am, the covenant God, the covenant God who is El Shaddai, the Almighty, Yahweh Shalom, our peace, Yahweh Rohi, our shepherd, 
Yahweh Rafeka, our healer. Yahweh Sikanu, our righteousness. El Roy, the God who sees us. Yahweh Yareh, the Lord, our provider. And Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is there. And notice that that one also has application to this time period. I want to read that to you. In Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. This is the very last verse of the book of Ezekiel. All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. And that he's been giving all kinds of details about this uh, coming temple and its, its uh, measurements and all of that. But then he goes on, and the name of this city from that day shall be Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord himself physically present, sitting and dwelling on the throne in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Now let's talk a little bit as uh, in our last point for tonight about this temple that's going to be there in the millennial kingdom. What is that? Zechariah chapter 6. Let me turn over there. One more page here. In Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9 through 15, we read this prophetic word from Zechariah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have come from Babylon, and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua the son of Jehoshaphat the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam, Tobiah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So here Zechariah is giving a prophetic word. Now you have to remember, this is not talking about Solomon's temple, and it's not talking about the rebuilt temple. Let's, let's talk about who this is. But first of all, notice he's talking about going and taking and making a crown for Joshua. Joshua is another form of Yeshua, Jesus. Joshua in this passage is representative. There was a true Joshua who was a high priest in that time period, but he was also a type of Christ particularly when you read the rest of this chapter or the rest of this passage, because you see that he's the man whose name is the branch. That is not Joshua the high priest. That is Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one whose name is the branch. And notice that they made this elaborate crown. 
made of silver and gold to be placed on his head. Jesus will have a crown, a beautiful crown on that day that has been placed on his head. Hallelujah. And that crown is given to him with the declaration that he be the branch, that God has um, given to him the name, the branch. So we find that in several places in scripture that identify for us exactly who this is. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. And if you go on down, you'll find more and more where he's talking about this coming day, this coming branch called Jesus, the Messiah, who will come. He is the branch. Then um, we know that it cannot be Solomon, the son of David that he's talking about from the stem of Jesse, the branch growing out of his roots, because this, um, this was prophetic of that day beyond. And Zechariah was calling him the branch. And this was after Solomon's time. Solomon was long dead and gone during the time of Zechariah. If we go back to the book of Zechariah and we look in chapter 3, in verse 8 through 10, it says this, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua upon this stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And so this is speaking prophetically, even though it's to the Joshua, perhaps the, the real Joshua in that day, it's pre speaking prophetically of Jesus, the Messiah, in the coming time. He, especially if you compare some of these words that he uses here with Revelation chapter 1 and the description of Jesus in there, you can see the comparison. Then in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2, it talks about the branch being beautiful and glorious in that day. And then also in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, I want to read those. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he, sh he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. So here again, Jeremiah is prophesying again about this branch, and it's clearly speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. Now Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 discuss that day in great detail and they give, he gives many details about the building of the temple, the sizes, the dimensions, the land divisions, and the priestly service structure that is set to be in operation 
at that time. And I want to read a brief portion of that to you in Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 through 9. Afterward, he brought me to the gate. This is Ezekiel talking. The gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Shebar, and I fell on my face. He's referring to earlier scriptures of Ezekiel that he's told us about, Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10 and other places. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east, the one that's closed now but will not be closed for Messiah when he comes. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost by my doorpost with a wall between them and me, they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore, I've consumed them in my anger. Now let them put their harlotry and the carcasses of their kings far away from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. So this is prophetic of that day as well. And here we see how when he's coming to this temple, when he's coming to his throne in the tabernacle of David, the glory of the Lord will shine forth over all the earth and it will fill the temple. What a beautiful thing. Now in these chapters in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, these several chapters that he goes into great detail about this temple, Scholars have some debate over what this temple is. Is it the third temple that's about to be rebuilt sometime in the near future? Even the Jews are longing to build that today. Or is it what, what we refer to as a millennial temple, a fourth temple? Well, let's talk about the temples. First of all, there was the tabernacle of Moses, which God instructed Moses on the mountain to build. And Moses built, and they traveled through the wilderness with that and established it in the promised land for a season um, before, you know, it became defunct and all of that. David went after the ark, brought it, and set it up in the tabernacle of David. But then he was longing. He was so longing for it to have a home, for God's presence to have a home that was worthy of him, one that was magnificent and grand and glorious and and decorated in splendor and of excellent quality. And so he had it in his heart to do that. Well, God said to him, no, you can't do that, but I will have your son do it. So Solomon built the first temple. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. Then the second temple, what happened was when they came back from the captivity, those that came back home to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity rebuilt the temple 
on the Temple Mount, and that was the second temple. That was Zerubbabel's temple. He actually built it. Herod did come along later and embellish it and expand it and so forth, but it was Zerubbabel's temple. That one was destroyed by Rome in AD 70. And then the third temple, that's the one that has been prophesied by four different people, even if this one in Ezekiel is not that one, and I don't believe it is, um, but the other, the third temple that we are anticipating and the Jews want to build right now was prophesied by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 and Mark 13, 14. It was prophesied by Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, by John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 11. He begins that chapter talking about um, measuring for, for a temple, measuring certain areas in, the, in Jerusalem. And then Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, when he gives the 70-week prophecy he talks about. And that's what Jesus referred to about that abomination of desolation coming into the temple, cutting off all sacrifices and setting himself up there as God. This is that temple. So it's typically referred to by many as the tribulation temple. That would be the third temple. The Jews now are trying to build the temple and they have most everything that they need. They're only waiting on uh, the right timing and I think they are still looking for the perfect red heifer for that. But this one will probably still be destroyed in some way because the Antichrist will come in, set up uh, his image there, uh, declare himself to be God there, and when Jesus comes back, he's going to deal with all of that, um, even that, that temple that has been desecrated. Now, some have disagreements, and, and we don't know exactly what will happen to it and how it will be destroyed. We do believe that it will be destroyed. Um, perhaps some think that it may be that it happens when Christ comes to the Mount of Olives, stands on the Mount of Olives, and according to Scripture, the mountain the Mount of Olives splits in two. And I want to talk about that in, a, in, I believe it's the next lesson or a coming lesson. I want to talk about that a little bit more. But there is an earthquake, a mighty earthquake that happens at that time. And so it's very possible that perhaps that will um, destroy that third temple that the Antichrist had desecrated. We do not know. But many scholars do believe, and I believe, um, that the Ezekiel temple is more likely the millennial temple, the one that Zechariah talked about that the Lord himself will build, or he will at least uh, be overseer and in, in charge of the building of that, um, of that temple. We believe that this to be the millennial temple. If you'll notice, there are several differences. When you read through this, you'll see many differences between this temple that Ezekiel prophesies will come and any of the other temples who were all built on the same pattern. Even the third temple that they are preparing to build today is still on the same pattern as Solomon's and Zerubbabel's temple were, or Herod's. Some people call it Herod's temple, even though it was Zerubbabel who built it. So you'll notice several different changes there. Those first two temples followed the same pattern as the tabernacle of Moses, and the third one is expected to follow that same pattern.
But in this fourth temple, this one that Ezekiel is prophesying about, it does not appear to be uh, that similar. Uh, for one thing, it's much bigger. It's much more enlarged. The territory that Ezekiel describes here is far larger than just the Temple Mount. Even the furniture itself is far different. Um, you won't find a lot of the same pieces of furniture that were in the Tabernacle of Moses and the other temples in the past. <clears throat> Many pieces are missing. There are differences of opinion on what Ezekiel's temple is and why it's built. I, I can't answer all of these, but I can tell you a few of the things that, that people have and scholars have said that they believe it may be. Some think that this may be a memorial temple to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which is why there would be no need anymore for sacrifices for sin. The author of Hebrews even makes it clear to us that Jesus was the once for all sacrifice for sin, all time. So even during the millennial period, his sacrifice that was done on the cross still stands. So perhaps this is a memorial to that. Perhaps it's also a teaching temple, a teaching center, where center where the people who are born in that time period during the millennial reign, the people who survived the tribulation and are, are there in that millennial reign, human beings still need to be saved through the work of Jesus Christ. Everybody has to come to God that way, and so will they. So it may be that that is used to teach them the gospel, to teach them the truth of God's word, a relationship with God, how to enter that relationship with God, and those kinds of things, because they will also need to hear the gospel. And this temple, like we said, the whole district, the whole country is far enlarged above what we have ever known it to be at this point, because in that day, they will possess all of their possessions and all of their borders. In Zechariah, it also, in that prophecy, spoke about Jesus, the one coming to rule on that temple, in that temple, on that throne, and the one that would build that, being both king and priest, sitting to rule. There are combined offices. Now, in the scriptures, usually there were three different offices, the king, the priest, and the prophet. It's interesting that it appears that there's no longer a need for a prophet. All the prophecies now are being fulfilled, coming to pass. There's no need for another prophet. But the office of the king and the office of the priest now are combined in Jesus. Will the millennial temple and the tabernacle of David be the same structure if they're both, if they are but speaking both about literal structures, or will they be two separate places? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I certainly can't answer that as a good question and maybe food for thought at least. But could it be that the Tabernacle of David is now inside that millennial temple, perhaps as the most holy place? Because we don't see the Ark of the Covenant in that temple, but we see the living Ark sitting and reigning from his throne, as Isaiah 16 said, in the tabernacle of David. And Ezekiel talks about how he called to him from inside the temple. 
So is it possible that the tabernacle of David he's referring to there in Isaiah's prophecy could be inside this millennial temple as the most holy place, so to speak? I don't know, but it's certainly worthy of some food for thought. The one thing we do know is that Jesus is the king priest. He is the branch. He builds, or at least oversees, this, the building of this temple. He rules from his throne. His throne is in the tabernacle of David, and Jesus is dwelling with his people in this time, right in their midst. What a glorious day is ahead for us when Jesus is seated on his throne. What a mighty time that will be, a glorious day. In the next few lessons, I want us to understand a few more things about what his rule, rule will be like and what it means for us as well. What a great day is ahead in this series, Thy Kingdom Come, as we look at the coming of that day, the coming of Messiah, and what his millennial kingdom actually will be like. And I pray this has been a blessing to you that God will bless you and enrich you as you study his word. I pray that you will be encouraged to know what is ahead for every believer. Every Christian has this to look forward to. And may God bless you. And Lord willing, we will see you again in the next lesson. God bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.